Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We're almost to the end of this first quarter of the year, 2022. We've been studying the message of Hebrews, and here on Lesson 12, it, the title is Receiving an Unshakable Kingdom, but what that's really code for is we're finally looking at the judgment work of Christ in the very last days of Earth's history before mm-hmm. he comes again, in fact, even after he comes again. So we're excited, I'm excited about mm-hmm. this particular lesson, and um, there's a lot of content for good Sabbath school lesson studies. All right. Well, are you, why don't you, uh, why don't we pray? Yeah. And Let's then you can give us our talking points for this week. Okay. Father in heaven, we are just thankful for the word of truth and the spirit of truth that guides us in our understanding. We do pray that he would be present with us now in this particular review of this lesson, as well as in the upcoming class times and the classes across this world, Lord, that Mm -hmm. are studying this lesson, that we all would be, our hearts would be stirred with the work that Christ is doing, uh, both in our confidence in him And also, Lord, in the sense of urgency that we are living in the judgment hour. We ask now that you would guide us, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, before we get into the specific talking points, let's give a little context for this week's study. Now, obviously, our, our, our main portion of Scripture we're going to be looking at is Hebrews chapter 12, Uh, moving down into verse 22, down there through 29. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, the the last half of chapter 12. But as you recall, the first half of chapter 12 is, uh, well, it starts off looking to Jesus because we've got this great cloud of witnesses, let's lay aside every weight, and even talks about the discipline of God and the chastisement and how... And then it leads and into how we need to endure that chastening. Exactly. And then it leads into what we're going to study this week. So really, the examples of 11, the exhortations mm-hmm. and admonishes of 12 prepares us for this, what we're going to study this section of Scripture. Well, I think that verses, um, it's interesting, verses 12 to 15 say, Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. And there's an implication there uh, in not only ourselves having a readiness, but to strengthen those around us Mm -hmm. as a community Mm -hmm. of faith. But then notice verses 14 and 15. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. It's an interesting phrase. You know, when we talk about the grace of God, it's almost as if nobody could ever, you know, because of the what grace of God, nobody's going to be lost. It, yeah. And yet this is, he's there's an urgency here. And so going into the context of judgment, mm-hmm. he starts out by saying there's the possibility that a person could fall short of the grace, as abundant as God's grace is. Mm-hmm. Don't fall short of it. And so... Endure the chastening, what have you, and that leads us into the concept of judgment. Well, and I put in a little introductory comment here that this week we finally examine the judgment work of Christ in the heavenly sanctuary. And you might think, wait a minute, we've been studying Christ in the heavenly sanctuary this whole quarter. Well, yes and no. We've talked about the qualifications of Christ, the uniqueness Mm -hmm. of Christ, the, 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 the intercession of Christ, the mediation of Christ. But the judgment work of Christ... Yes. is really kind of the culmination of Hebrews. Is like we have Christ as an intercessor, and he's looking forward to this judgment just before he comes. Well, in, that, in and, connection and the with work the that we've coming. talked about is, you know, everything we've talked about in his priestly role is in the context of judgment. Exactly. And so we really haven't 
it hasn't been framed that way yet. They right. need to get into that. And I'm going to submit to you that both Sabbath and Sunday's uh, lessons this week help establish that judgment context mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, but let's walk through our talking points now yes. and see what we're talking about. Flesh it out. Number one, talking point number one, Christ's primary work as high priest is judgment. And we're taking that mostly from Monday and Tuesday, uh, where Christ is seen in his holy place, most holy place mm-hmm. ministry. And we can talk all about that in a few minutes. But talking point number two, Christ judges before and after the second coming. Now, I know that might seem like a little bit odd. I thought when Jesus comes again, at least the judgment's done. Well, there's actually another work on the other side, a post-Advent judgment that we need to look at, too. And we're going to see that Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday's lessons. Mm-hmm. And finally, in light of all this judgment work of Christ, what should we be doing here on the earth? Much like in Leviticus 16, we should afflict our souls. We should be examining our lives. Uh, talking about number three, we should offer God the worship of Christ-like living. And that is from Thursday's lesson. All right. So we've got a lot of ground to cover in this week's study, and I'm excited about it. But let's look at this Christ's primary work as high priest is judgment. Now, mm-hmm. even that term, now we talked about it in our little uh, uh, planning meeting before, yes. that even the term judgment is almost an untouchable kind of word. We almost don't want to go there. There's a reason we're all the way down 12 weeks into Hebrews, and we haven't really talked a lot about judgment. Right. But in the Old Testament sanctuary process, the high priest would go into the most holy place on the Day of Atonement. It was a day of solemnity. You had to afflict your souls. It was Mm -hmm. very judgment. But we've been talking about high priest work of Christ, and we've never really touched judgment, really. Why? And maybe this isn't the place to you know, kind of decipher why that might be, but um, it certainly seems to be, maybe from my view of it, a thing we tread away from sure. in, in our contemporary churches. Well, I think one thing that has been a resounding, uh, you know, the, the the controversy with Desmond Ford in the 1980s, and we still, you know, mm. you may not even know the name Desmond Ford, and yet the effects if you still have linger. studied yeah. it, the effects still linger, and a lot of the, the, the it was an attack on the subject of the sanctuary, Christ's work in the sanctuary of judgment, because it robs God's people of assurance. That mm-hmm. was the whole, and to this day, there's that feeling like, yeah, it just robs people of assurance, and um, we could talk on and on about mm-hmm. a wrong presentation of the gospel will certainly rob a person of assurance, but there are some people who shouldn't have assurance. <laughs> In other words, if a guy's out, you know, uh, willfully disobeying the Lord... Which is touched should, on in Hebrews, by yes, the way. <laughs> he shouldn't have any assurance of salvation. No. Why would... You know, so there's a... This is what Paul's talking about in falling short of the grace of God. Hmm. So while we... I would say it's important that a person who loves the Lord have the assurance and the confidence in the Lord. What judgment does is, is it... Is it... it uh, it contrasts a person's profession with his or her character. Mm. Um, anyway. Well, and I, let's, let's walk through this a little bit and see if we can develop this thought a little bit more. For instance, I mentioned how in Leviticus 6... There's a, there's a statement. I'm just I'm trying to get it. It's in the book Christ's Object Lessons, and um, it's in the chapter on the two worshipers. And I'm trying to remember exactly what it says, but, but Sister White says something like, the mouth often expresses a... A, 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 a sorrow for sin that, or something, something yeah. like that, that the heart does not acknowledge. Mm. It's easy to confess, like, oh, yeah, I love the Lord. And I'm gonna, 
but but there may be a profession that I'm making, but deep down I'm not living that. And that's the judgment brings that into view. And I might add, not because God doesn't know it, <laughs> mm. but it's for the sake of those being judged. We've talked about the work of the Christ in judgment is a dynamic work. It's not like he's off somewhere and we know not. Like he's our high priest right now. When Jesus, when Jesus goes over something in my life that isn't in harmony with God's will, mm. he's not doing it off in some corner of heaven and I have no idea. He sends the Holy Spirit to point it out to me. So now while I still have time with a mediator in the sanctuary, I can still put that thing away, mm-hmm. which is which is a positive aspect of judgment. It's not like, hey, he's judging. I don't know what happened. And now I'm lost. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, if he comes up with something, this is the whole Hebrews, that preliminary Hebrews 12, enduring the work of chastening. That's mm-hmm. a part of the context. Anyway. Well, what I was going to mention is the parallel, of course, in the Old Testament type would be Leviticus 16 on the Day of Atonement, and where the high priest, you know, the work of the high priest exceeds that of a, of a, what you might call a regular priest, right? Mm -hmm. Both work in the sanctuary, but the priest's work was limited to the intercessory work in the holy place, but the high priest would go beyond that into the most holy place, and only once a year on the Day of Atonement, and while he was interceding for the people, purifying the whole camp, those out in the camp were to be afflicting their souls. It was a special Sabbath of solemnity. And that's the reference, the parallel here to what we see in Hebrews mm-hmm. chapter 12. So if you, let's, let's just read a little bit from Hebrews chapter 12, shall we? Let's start with verse 22 and go down to verse 29. You want okay. to read that for us, please? But you have come to Mount Zion... And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Okay, now let's pause right there. Mm -hmm. It seems like in present tense, he's saying, unlike what he alluded to in the earlier verses, those Old Testament Israelites who came before the mountain. Specifically Sinai. Right. And they were shaken. We now come to heaven itself, right? And we have God the Father is sitting there in his judgment seat. Christ is interceding. We're past types and symbols. Exactly. We're in the reality now. Yes. Exactly. Now, that's the present tense. But then he goes forward in verse 25 through 29. Mm -hmm. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much... How uh, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth? But now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Mm. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things which are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Mm. For our God is a consuming fire. Right. And so basically there's a clear parallel between the Old Testament Israelite Mm -hmm. experience at Mount Sinai and our present circumstance with Christ in heaven. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be, in my understanding of it here, shaking, and the the quarterly brought this out, shaking is a reference to God sitting in judgment over his people, right? He shakes Mount Sinai in fear and trembling. Now he shakes the earth again, not just the earth, but also heaven, right? That was in Tuesday's lesson, second paragraph. Exactly right. So 
what I wanted to join, point out here, in, in the present tense where Paul is writing at the time of Hebrews, mm-hmm. notice it says here how in verse 23, God is the judge of all. In verse 24, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant and the blood of sprinkling is better than things without of Abel. That when Paul is writing in the present tense, there's God on the throne as the administrative judge, if mm-hmm. you will, and Christ is there doing that work of mediation or intercession. But then he looks forward to, I'm going to shake again. I'm going to sit in judgment again, mm-hmm. and he's looking forward to, and there seems to be in this trusting that Paul wrote Hebrews, a consistent theme of Christ is our currently our intercessor, but he's going to be our judge going forward. Let me give a few examples of that. For example, um, why don't you look up Romans 2, 12 to 16, and I'll look up Acts 17. And we'll see the thinking of the Apostle Paul when it comes to this idea of Christ and his work of judgment. Uh, I'll read 17, 30, and 31. Okay. Uh, it says here, Truly, there are times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, now that's God, mm-hmm. by the man whom he has ordained, which of course is Jesus Christ. He has given assurance of this to, to all by raising him from the dead. So he's talking there in the context where God's the judge, but he's going to trust Jesus to do this work of judgment mm-hmm. on a particular day in the future. Yes. You see the same thing toward the end of that passage in Romans. Romans 2 verse 12 says, For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Mm-hmm. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts, accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Right, so according to his gospel presentation, yes, there's repentance failed, but there is also mm-hmm. a day when God will judge through, through Jesus Christ on yes. this appointed time. Over and over again, you know, uh, think of Second Corinthians chapter 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things that are done in the body. Paul's presentation of Jesus was not just the lamb or even the sacrifice on the cross, it was looking forward to his work John of judgment. John chapter 5, Jesus says that the Father has committed the judgment into my hands mm-hmm. to the son, because I'm the Son of Man. Exactly so, right. repeatedly this Over theme, and over this yes. theme comes up. And so when we come back to Hebrews chapter 12, yes. yes, Jesus is our mediator and intercessor, but Paul here is writing with the anticipation that he's going to, quote, shake again, mm-hmm. that he's going to sit in judgment And thus it makes sense, all that preparatory introduction in chapter 12 about endure the chastening of God, it's going to develop character, so you can stand when Jesus shakes the earth again. And one of the things that I thought was very interesting, and I thought very well done in this quarter, this particular lessons quarterly, is draw a parallel. And if I were teaching in a local Sabbath school class, I would make sure to highlight this that there is a strong parallel between the imagery Paul employs in Hebrews Mm -hmm. 12 and the prophecy of Christ's judgment work in Daniel chapter 7, right? Why don't you read for us those two paragraphs from Monday's lesson where it outlines those parallels. The scene evokes the great pre-advent judgment described in Daniel 7, which portrays a judgment scene in which God, the Ancient of Days, sits on a throne made of fire and is surrounded with 10,000 times 10,000 angels. 
Books are opened, and the judgment is decided in favor of the saints of the Most High, who then possess the kingdom. Similarly, Hebrews 12, 22-29 describes a judgment scene at Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, where God, the judge of all, is surrounded with thousands upon thousands of angels. The scene also is a fiery one. It includes books because the saints are enrolled in them, which implies a favorable judgment for the saints. Right, so basically what you see here is the prophecy of judgment given in Daniel chapter 7 is repeated in Hebrews chapter 12. That this is the work of Christ that's being depicted here in Hebrews was the one foretold Mm -hmm. in Daniel chapter 7. So this is clearly a tie to the investigative judgment described in Daniel chapter 7, the time of which was outlined in Daniel chapter 8, the work of which was repeatedly emphasized by Paul in his other epistles and here culminates in the book of Hebrews. Absolutely. So Christ... Yeah, in fact, the whole part we did about the shaking is doesn't interest me like this was like i'm like when are we getting to daniel and the parallel yeah (laughs) so and in the class i mean it's great what the quarterly says but even just thinking about the imagery Mm -hmm. if you go back to daniel you have a judgment scene we know the judgment scene is somewhere in heaven the 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 son of man comes to the ancient of days he doesn't come to the earth and if you just take the imagery there, you've got God the Father on the throne. Yep. You've got the Son approaching him, and he's surrounded with all of these angels. Mm-hmm. Now you go back to the earthly sanctuary. You've got the high priest on the Day of Atonement going into the throne. The presence of God is there. Why the figures of the angels in all those curtains? In the curtains, in the cherubim. representative on the, of heaven reality. That's a picture mm-hmm. of that. So that little miniature symbolic picture in the sanctuary is what we see in reality in Daniel 7. And then, of course, Paul's describing the same scene here. And so you connect, all the dots connect. Right. And I think that if I were the Sabbath school teacher, I want to make sure that people leave seeing that there is a direct connection between the picture in Daniel 7 and the the appeal here in Hebrews 12, that they're talking about the same thing. And interestingly, what it does, too, is it it, it makes the judgment, you see the bigger picture of the judgment. A lot of I know a lot of Seventh Day Adventists who think about the judgment as just me. I hope I make it. Mm. But you go to Daniel seven, and what's the issue? The issue is whether or not Christ receives the kingdom, mm. and it's this bigger picture of the, the great controversy, mm-hmm. if you will. And so, just as you put all these things together, it fills out the picture. Well, and also to and helpfully move us into talking point number two. <laughs> yes. That notice here the shaking isn't just the earth, but it's also heaven, mm-hmm. like. This is, this is a comprehensive work of judgment. That's it's not right. just his people in Old Testament or ancient Israel or even the Christian church. It's the whole universe now is going to be arraigned before the, God, the bar of Christ for a completed work. And let's talk about that a little bit. Talk mm-hmm. point number two, Christ judges before and after the second coming. Both the righteous and the wicked are involved in this final work That's of right. Christ in the sense that in the pre-advent judgment, as you alluded to, the characters are going to be judged against the profession of God's people, mm-hmm. right? Anyone who's claimed the name of Christ, put their hands on the, you know, on, on the figuratively on the yeah. sacrificial lamb, will be compared and see if they match. Basically, he's making up the citizenry of his kingdom before he returns to the earth, right? But afterwards, they're still... Making the... up and even demonstrating the fitness. Mm. You know, I, 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 again, we like God doesn't need to go through this to know things. He's mm-hmm. omniscient, but the the angels need to yes. know it. Like, why are they always surrounded by angels in and, this process? And, and, yeah. and think about, I mean, you've got a third of the heavenly. If there's a 
a 10,000 times 10,000 is that 100 million mm-hmm. plus heavenly angels, then there are at least 33 and a third million evil <laughs> angels who aren't in heaven. And they're like, they're ready to call a flag on the play. Mm. God's like, yeah, I'm going to take all these people in who sinned. It's like, well, wait a minute. We sinned and we got to be kicked out. And so all of this plays into the judgment scene. Absolutely right. And so again, we're not Christ. And you think, well, what's, what's, what heavenly beings need to be judged? Well, as you alluded to, there's untold thousands Satan and that's all right. of his evil angels and still have to face their reckoning. We will judge angels. And that's what I wanted to bring up. You'll find this in 1 Corinthians 4 and 6, okay? Um, if you look up 1 Corinthians 6, I'll read 1 Corinthians 4. But there's this fascinating passage that I just can't really get past in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, where it says, Therefore, judge nothing, and we like to stop right there. See, our work isn't to judge. <laughs> but it says, judge nothing before, before the time. time. And what time is that? Until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of hearts. The idea being that there is a time when God's going to impanel the redeemed with him in his work of judgment. When we're able to see what he sees. Exactly. And that's what you see in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 1 uh, 1 through 3. 1 through 3. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest of matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? Mm. How much more than the things that pertain to this, to this life? And I love how he says, do you not know? As this, like, this should be like, common this is sense. Obvious. Yeah, this is Christianity 101. Right. And so the idea is that Christ in the pre-advent judgment renders the verdict of every case of those who claim his name to see if and to demonstrate to the onlooking mm-hmm. universe their fitness for heaven and seals them for eternity. Great. Mm-hmm. Then he comes at the second coming, takes them home with him, gathers them directly into his barn, as Matthew 13 alludes to. But the rest, like for instance, there's a great host of the wicked who aren't going to be alive. They're right. not going to resurrect. Well, they don't know. I think it's important when we talk about this. You know, we've had people try to, I've had people again, outside the church, inside the church, well, what is this doctrine of the investigative judgment, and this is made up, and this is Mm. not, because the Bible doesn't use the word investigative, like it doesn't use a lot of words we use, whatever. But the idea that people miss is that judgment, anybody who's familiar with a judgment process knows that it's a process. There are Mm. several parts of a judgment. Uh, The Bible says in Jude, Jesus comes to execute judgment, but execution Mm. is just a portion of it. Yes. And so when you understand that, what you realize is the judgment spreads out. And what we're talking about in the second coming is the execution is spread out. Yes. Uh, The execution of the judgment. So it's not like it happens in a day and a half. Mm -hmm. You've got a process Again, we're familiar with that, even in earthly courts. There's a process of several different pieces that take place to form that work of judgment. Right, and Sister White comments on this from Desire, uh, Great Controversy 660-661, and it's recorded in Friday's lesson, where it says, During the thousand years between the first and the second resurrection, the judgment of the wicked takes place. At this time the righteous reign as kings and priests unto God. John in the Revelation says, I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Revelation 24 and 6. It is at this time, as foretold by Paul, the saints shall judge the world. That's that 1 Corinthians mm-hmm. 6 two. In union with Christ, they judge the wicked. Now that's a crazy thought to, mm-hmm. but I thought Christ was, 
Notice that the Father is the administrator of the judgment, but Christ executes it, and then he impanels the... There's Everybody's involved. Yes. It's in front of the angels, right? In union with Christ, they judge the wicked, comparing their acts with the statute book, the Bible, and deciding every case to, according to the deeds done in the body. Then the portion which the wicked must suffer is meted out according to their works and is recorded against their names in the book of death. So this... As you were talking about, this judgment mm -hmm. is a process. It's not just the investigative judgment, then Jesus comes, execute, and we're mm -hmm. all done. Even after he comes again, there's that thousand years of reviewing yes. the books. The saints will have the opportunity to see behind the scenes that mm -hmm. Paul talked about. We couldn't do right. it until then. And then we'll be able to see, oh, it is just and fair. Well, thus the involvement of the saints in the process, yes. so that at the end in Revelation 15, 4, we read where they say, um, you're, you're basically you're worthy, O Lord, because your judgments have been manifest. Mm -hmm. They're they're revealed. We see now why you did what you did. And they call us just and true exactly. are thy ways, O King of Saints. So mm -hmm. that even the wicked, if you were finished that in the great controversy, talks about even the wicked will recognize and and affirm their exclusion from God's kingdom because their character wouldn't fit in, and mm -hmm. that God's not going to punish them with the eternal life. He's going to give them according to the deeds uh, in the body, and so. That's your last talking point. Yeah, thus the last talking point is in light of this coming judgment, we should offer God the worship of Christ-like living. Thus, uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, 28 and 29, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Mm -hmm. Same His thing in, are yes. in 13, 15, 16 says, Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the mm -hmm. fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such uh, sacrifices God is well pleased. Mm -hmm. There's this idea of... The sacrifice we need to offer now is not one of, like Jesus gave his life in that sense. We need to be, as Paul talked about in Romans 12, living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. Right. Again, earlier in verse 12, pursue peace with all people in holiness, without, no, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the glory. All these exhortations yes. of, in light of this judgment, in light of the opportunities we have with Jesus as our high priest, Let's invest ourselves Amen. in our spiritual lives. Amen. And the text that I think both of us, mm -hmm. it just, just to the forefront of our mind, was 2 Peter 3, 11 to 15. You want yes. to read that for us? Peter says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, speaking of the second coming of Christ and, and mm -hmm. the heavens passing away, etc., what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. Mm -hmm. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our God is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, whom, the, to, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. And I love how Peter says, this theme that I'm discussing here, preparation and hastening of the coming of God, yeah. that's what Paul's writing about. Yeah. And, it's like we, and I don't know if he's quoting from Hebrews or what he has in mind, but clearly they knew they were preaching, they're singing from the same yes. page, right? And I think that's impressive. And that's kind of where I'd like to conclude this week's lesson is because... Like, for instance, the discussion question on Friday, why do you think it's important that Hebrews ends with the argument of the epistle with a link to the promises of Daniel 7? Mm -hmm. If you start looking at the connective tissue oh, of the yeah. prophecies of Daniel 7 and even Daniel 8 with the judgment, you look at Hebrews here, you look at Acts, you look at 1 Corinthians, you look at Romans, you look at Peter's exhortation. 
There is a common theme throughout Scripture that moves towards not just Jesus as interceding indefinitely, but there's a culmination in judgment that we need That's preparing right. for and letting other people be ready for through our witness. Amen. So there's a lot to talk about this week, and I'm excited about this lesson. Pastor Howard, would you give us a word of closing prayer? Yes, let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the judgment, the merciful judgment work of Christ. Uh, Lord, a judgment in which we still have a high priest mm. and can avail ourselves of his mercy and that we can have grace to serve you more acceptably in this time. I pray, Lord, that you will help this lesson to stir the hearts of the students, the learners, uh, each one of us, to be diligent not to fall short of that grace that was given, mm. but to order our lives in harmony with your perfect will seek you for your strength um, in all things, and, Lord, to seek to be a blessing to others who know you not. We ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.